Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to episode 18. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. In this episode, I sit down to chat with Kimberly Dark, a writer, professor, and yoga teacher who works to reveal the hidden architecture of everyday life so that we can reclaim our power as social creators. Kimberly and I talk about the bias present in us all and how to begin unpacking the biases we hold that do harm, especially in regards to bodies and their variations. Kimberly shares the importance of being open to discomfort as a gateway to embodied learning and culture shifting. Kimberly also talks richly about the ways we can honor our lived experiences and the fullness of who we are. This candid conversation invites all of us to lean heavily into our own discomfort in the service of creating a better world. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Here we go. Hey, Kimberly, how's it going? It's going great, Amber. How are you? I'm good. Welcome to the podcast. Really glad you're here. Me too. All right. Well, I'm hoping you can introduce yourself to um, our audience. Uh, Tell us about you. Who are you? What type of work you do in the world? Uh, How are you spending your time these days? How are you doing? All that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's that's always the question right now. What are you doing now? (laughs) What are you doing now? (laughs) Things are topsy-turvy. Well, so yeah. Hey, uh, I... um, I'm a writer and also a yoga teacher and also a sociologist. And somehow I uh, mush all of those things together for um, most of the work that I do. And uh, yeah, so, you know, over, over time, I mean, not at the moment, of course, but over the time, over time, I do retreats and uh, one of which you've, you've been to the body wise professional development retreat and also some yoga retreats. And I write books. Uh, so those are the things that I do. Um, and things have changed a lot this year because normally I am traveling, probably, uh, you know, doing storytelling performances mm-hmm. or speaking to groups or whatever else I do. I do all of those things still, but I do them online, which, uh, you know, who knew that was going to work? But necessity is the mother of invention, I suppose. And uh, <laughs> here we are. And I'm happy to still feel like um, life is big, even though it's gotten really small with regard to, um, you know, not traveling. So it's it's a weird both and thing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so I uh, I'm a big fan of yours and your work. I've followed you online for a long time, and then finally got to meet uh, last year when I attended your BodyWise professional development retreat in Hawaii. And uh, the, the topic or the purpose of that retreat was um, for folks who work with people who have bodies, <laughs> but what, by which I guess that's like, you know, yoga teachers and massage therapists and people like that. And we were working on confronting bias when it comes to bodies. And um, I was looking at the, the page for your retreat and saw this quote. So I was just going to read it um, in your own words. Every one of us was taught to freak out about certain bodies, regardless of our own marginality. Unless we continue working on our own comfort with others' bodies, probably for the rest of our lives, that freak out is going to compromise our professional abilities. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about bias around bodies. What do you mean by bias? How do we know if we have it? What does that look like? Yeah. So so look, 
bias is a normal human thing. And I wish we could all like kind of wrap our heads around that and stop denying that we're biased. Right. So like, it's easy to recognize certain biases that that you probably embrace. So like one of my biases is if there's if there's three really great people that I could spend the evening with, and one of them is my son, I'm going to pick him. Mm-hmm. I have a bias toward spending time with my adult son who lives far away from me. Um, I, I went to China a couple of years ago and you know what? There was street food and uh, there was like uh, scorpions on a stick and other insects on a stick that people were walking around happily eating like, you know, regular old fair food. Mm-hmm. I didn't eat that stuff because I have too strong a cultural bias against right. eating bugs. So it's not like, it's not like there's, and I'm okay with that, right? It's not like bias. <laughs> bias isn't inherently evil, maybe. It it's is. not inherently evil, but it is often culturally installed. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with eating insects on a stick at a street fair. Um, you know, people were doing that happily, but I did not join them because of my cultural bias. So that's one I'm happy with. I'm happy to keep that cultural bias, but um, we have a whole lot of cultural biases that, especially if we work with other humans in our job, um, are going to mess us up. And mm-hmm. Uh, and I th- and I think actually they mess us up anyway, even if we don't, you know, even if you're an accountant, right? Um, the, a bias that says fat bodies are ugly or old bodies are incapable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are biases that are going to even mess up the accountant or the, uh, you know, chef. Yeah, they affect I, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> for sure affect everybody. But they definitely are going to mess us up if we work with other people's bodies. And um and and so so denying bias is the first hurdle, right? That you you got to just kind of get over that and go, "Oh, right. Right. Even though I am obviously intelligent and clear thinking and advanced, even me, <laughs> I have um have body biases." And you know, you probably feel this um, with your own self. Like, like, I don't know, you know, I've been fat my whole life and I got used to being, you know, a young fat babe. I was pretty good with that. And then, um, you know, somewhere mid forties, I looked at my body and I was like, Oh, Oh wait, right. Oh, right. Now there's the aging bias that is added on to this. And so, and, and then, you know, when I became more arthritic, and I started walking with a limp. Man, I hated that limp for a few years, like hated it. And how much did that get in the way of not only my relationship with myself, but how I interact with other people with a limp and yeah. other people that have, um, you know, maybe bodies that um, that are really different than mine. And I've not even consciously processed how I feel about those bodies. Right. So um, this was really the impetus for beginning that retreat. When I started doing that retreat, I was like, right, right. So I have a number of marginalized identities. I'm queer, I'm fat, I'm, um, you know, aging, whatever. So uh, that's all true. But I've noticed like uh, when I go to yoga studios, because, you know, as I mentioned, I travel a lot before. And so I used to just go to any old yoga studio, which is great. And I would notice that it's like, oh, this particular studio is really good at welcoming somebody who has arthritis, but not so good at welcoming someone fat. 
Mm. Or this one is like, uh, like maybe I go with a date who is gender non-conforming, right? I'm dating somebody and we go and I, and I notice, oh, this teacher is okay with fat people, but gender non-conforming freaks her out. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I really was noticing that just in my own world. And I thought, hey, now. Uh, this is, I have some professional training to offer here. Yeah. <laughs> I, have some, I have some skills in this department. Maybe I ought to, maybe I ought to do something. Yeah. So talk about, um, let's talk about that. Like we, we can recognize that we have bias, right? We start to notice these things in ourselves, or maybe even some of the things you've said today have gotten people's attention they haven't thought about before. Um, so once we start recognizing it, I mean, I know, I just want to go back and touch on one thing that you brought up, which is about like denying bias, you know, like sometimes it, um, or sort of this idea that bias means you're a bad person if you have it right. Sort of like how, if, you know, we get called out for like making a racist remark or a fat phobic remark or something like that, then we have to like defend ourselves and sort of get stuck in this like guilt and stuff like that. So how, um, And, and I, maybe we can just talk about that for a minute, because I think part of the, uh, part of the process in unlearning the bias that has been conditioned into us and then sort of relearning, like whatever the, the truth actually is, or the way that we want to operate in the world. Part of that is normalizing learning (laughs) is normalizing, like being bad at stuff or maybe getting something wrong and then being able to move forward with like new information. So Once we recognize it, like, how do we work with it to process it? How do we move forward without getting stuck in guilt or trying to prove that we're actually a good person or, you know, any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, this is this is the best question ever. Um, And the answer is run forward toward discomfort enthusiastically. (laughs) (laughs) That is the answer. Because um, because, look, first of all, the, the world doesn't need more people trying to be good. We need more people willing to be real, right? And what's real is that, that, that we were all born into a culture that has a pre-existing hierarchy for human bodies and human identities. And it's wrong. I mean, it's bad and it's wrong to say that one person has more human dignity than another. And of course, those kind of views and values lead to things like um, slavery mm-hmm. and uh, you know, an ability to, uh, you know, subjugate uh, people and deny their will. I mean, so so when an a, an instance comes up where somebody um, says to me that you know, I said something wrong or that I, uh, that sounded like that sounded racist or that sounded, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. The first thing I say is, Oh my gosh, thank you for saying something. Mm-hmm. Let me think on that for a minute. Right. Because I want to reflect. I don't want to just accept, uh, everything everybody says. Right. Like, and I think this is the, this is the thing, right. Is that people think that if they accept criticism, it means that they're going to have to accept all criticism. Right, or, or that like getting called racist is a life sentence or something that you can't come back exactly. from, right? Like, Exactly, exactly. Um, and, and, you know, but, but, you know, like the fact is there are people who critique my work and 
uh, I think about the critique and I think about where it's coming from for the yeah. person. Like, for instance, I'm sure you experience this a lot as well. Um, people who want to explain to me why being fat yes. is bad. It's a bad idea. It's bad for your health. It's bad for, you know, all of these things. So I can think about that critique and decide where I'm going to stand nonetheless. And this is always within our power. But if we fail to, if we fail to consider critique, then, then we're, we're, it's, you know, we can't grow. Right. So I, can I, can I share a brief story about this? Um, So I had an experience. uh, Well, now it's, not last summer, but the summer before, uh, I teach in a program called Summer Arts. And I was working with a wonderful writer. You should look at her work if you haven't, Therese Mayotte. Um, she is uh, uh, an indigenous woman. And she was. we were teaching, co-teaching this uh, class on memoir. And she had given an assignment for students to prepare a three-minute reading from this from the work that they were doing to rehearse it like to really like I think her assignment was you need to rehearse it like 17 times or something (laughs) it was like it was meant to be rehearsed and timed and so um I was holding the timer during the class because part of the issue was it was a big Mm -hmm. class right and so people had to stay on time or we'd be there forever And so I was holding the uh, timer and she was sitting next to me and I would sort of show her when the person was over time. And then once they got a minute over time, I'd stop them. Right. But there were a number of students who went over time. And so we got to the end of the group and she thanked everyone and was very warm and lovely about the um, praise that she gave their work. And then she said, I also want to acknowledge that even though I asked you to rehearse this and to have it within a certain time period, many of you went over time and everyone in the room who went over time was white. <laughs> and I would like you to notice that what is happening here. And, and I want to say probably a half of the students in that class mm-hmm. were not white, half were white. And, uh, and, and she said, so I want to just be very clear here. Um, this is a pattern and it is a pattern that allows for white people in this room to take time from people of color. It allows for people like me when I was in college classrooms to feel like I don't deserve to speak up. I think I'll just be quiet. And she said, let me be clear. You want me here. You want these other students here because you can't see the world fully unless we show up Mm -hmm. and talk. And this was beautiful, right? It was beautiful and amazing. And as you might imagine, um, a couple of white students emailed me later with, you know, their uh, apologies or, you know, a couple of them were like weird justifications. But... um, But the thing I was able to model the following day when Therese was not in the room with us, the thing I was able to model was to say to the room, did you clock that amazing gift she gave us yesterday? I want to tell you people like I am like I am trained and to notice this sort of pattern. And this is my regular practice to notice this pattern. And until she said Everybody who went overtime was white. I didn't see it. 
I am so grateful that she drew something to my attention that I didn't see. Like, how amazing is that? And I feel like I can be a better teacher because of that awareness. And so, so that was not, you know, and then of course I said something about bias and about how we all have it and about how, if you felt bad, don't stay in feeling bad, stay in doing better, stay in, how do I, how do I make sure that even though, even though this thing that I wrote is really, really great and it goes over three minutes, um, there's a lot of people in that room and I need to cut this off the same way others are going to. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a great example for me, and I appreciate I tr- appreciate Teresa's um, uh, not just insight, but her willingness to um, make that yeah, point very sure. clear. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for sharing that example. I think it's really something we can all probably relate to. Um, so you, not too long ago, uh, released a book called Fat, Pretty, and Soon to Be Old, which I think is one of the greatest book titles <laughs> in all the land. Um, but I'm wondering if you would talk about the book a little bit and how it fits into this conversation we're having about bias and bodies. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So so yeah, Fat, Pretty, and Soon to Be Old is is referring to me, <laughs> and um, but, but also obviously a lot of other people. The the thing about that title is that um, so fat and old are used generally as right. insult words, even though they really are just descriptive words, mm-hmm. right? Like my body is fat. That is a description. Um, pretty is a compliment, but it's one that we are never supposed to mm-hmm. claim. Like you're not supposed to say that right. about yourself, right? <laughs> Part of what happens when we don't claim positive things that the culture sees positively is that we we render it invisible that we have privilege, mm. right? So I know that some of the ways that people might be biased toward my body because I'm fat are lessened because they're looking at a pretty mm-hmm. face. And this is, um, you know, and then of course this is complicated because as I age, I uh, less often um, receive those. And because you know, you can feel it. You can feel it happening um, when somebody looks up at me and sees a fat lady. They look at me very differently when the, than when somebody looks up at me and sees mm-hmm. somebody pretty. So I can feel the difference, and uh, and I can tell that the the uh, mesmerized by the pretty response happens less often right. as I age. So, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that, that book is a collection of personal essays and, uh, but th- they're all making, um, these kind of, uh, sociological points and also really framing, uh, appearance privilege as, as it relates to consumer culture and, uh, yeah, so that's that's what that book is about. I would say the entire thing is about various nuances regarding mm-hmm. bias. Great. We'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Um, I'd love for people to check it out. I think it's you write very powerfully about this in a way that, you know, I think brings in sort of the the sociology, but also really connects it to lived experience in a way that people can really understand. So I think it's a great resource on that. Thanks for writing it. <laughs> Thanks. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm glad it's working. (laughs) So 
I want to shift gears maybe just a little bit. You know, we've been talking about recognizing bias in ourselves and how we can sort of, you know, start to move forward from that um, or process that into something that will help us to to know better and to do better, hopefully. Um, but what about, you know, when it comes to shifting culture, like whether that's a culture in a community that we're a part of, let's say like a yoga studio or our own yoga class or um, all the way up to like the company we work for, our profession, our industry. Um, how can we start to maybe work toward this um, this idea of recognizing where our bias comes up and, and maybe even shifting like how that informs the way we treat people with bodies in our profession? Mm-hmm. So this is really important to remember that we are creating the world even as it mm. creates us, right? That the culture is saying, right, here's this, here's this thing about hierarchy of bodies. And then we have a choice. Do we want to um, re-inscribe those inequalities? Do we want to, you know, make more of the same? Or do we want to make something different? And I, I think, you know, there's these moments where we forget that um, no part of human culture was not created mm-hmm. by humans that <laughs> we literally are you know and it's not like we have all the power like of course we don't but we each have That's our right. power and uh we can you know we can work with that so one easy way to start as you just said is like okay what about within your class right like if you're in a yoga class um you're part of that community even if you don't come every single day, even if, you know, you are a human who gets to have a Mm -hmm. voice in that space. And, uh, you know, depending on how receptive the teacher and the studio are to your comments, you might not get to have much of a voice there. And then you learn something that that's not really where you want to be. But, but oftentimes I think maybe even more often than we initially imagine people are glad for engagement, right? Because we walk around all the time, you know, like hoping everything's okay, but, <laughs> but you know, it, it means something when someone um, speaks positively about an offering you have made. It means something when somebody is thoughtful enough to say, hey, this was great, but this part, I would like to talk about this because it mm-hmm. didn't feel so good. Like that's actually welcome because it often, not always, but often it's welcome because we crave human engagement that is authentic. Um, So it is possible sometimes to have um, those kind of changes. And so I've been doing yoga for a long time, like 30 years. And, you know, I want to say like, I was like the only fat person in the yoga class or the fitness class for probably the first 10 of those years. Like every class that I went to, every single one. And I know that I had a positive impact on some of those classes and teachers. I know I did because I was willing to, um, first of all, willing Mm -hmm. to show up (laughs) and also willing to engage authentically to be able to say like, uh, you know, when the teacher says, get a chair, we're going to do a backbend through the chair. I would say, I don't think my body fits right. through that chair. Actually, to be honest, at first I said, I think I'm too big for that chair. And I had a teacher who corrected me 
um, God bless her, right? And said, no, 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 your body is fine. The chair is the wrong mm-hmm. problem. And, you know, that became uh, a reframe that, you know, obviously I took forward into my life forevermore. But, um, but yes, we can have those kind of influences. So similarly, even our whole profession, the more movement that happens, um, positive movement that happens in the class, the more movement can happen in the profession. It's just that yeah. we can't see it because there it's not, you know, it's kind of like you only get to look at one snapshot. You don't see the mm-hmm. whole album. And the fact is that the whole album is also constantly in motion and shifting as well. And um, so you know, social change is not so much like, I mean, obviously it's not like a linear thing, but it's more like, it's more like water moving mm-hmm. over rock and how, um, yeah, granite like seems really stable, but uh, water also has the power of creating small fissures that can cause things to cr- crumble suddenly and you go, oh my gosh, like how did this happen? Like the huge numbers of people on the streets this summer for Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. protests, and I'm God. I'm hoping that you know that there's some traction gained there and um, policies change. But but the fact of the numbers is uh, a bit of the rock yeah. crumbling, and you can't say that happened just this summer. It's been happening in the individual snapshots. It's been happening for years, right? Black people have been asserting their humanity yeah. for years. And it's ju- we're just getting to the place where, uh, at least right now with regard to police brutality, that much larger numbers are, um, you, you can see it, you can see it throughout the collection of snapshots rather than just in Yeah, the- I think that's so powerful because I think it's easy to think, well, I can't make a difference. I'm just one person. I'm just one vote, you know, like basically like to get very discouraged in the fact that like we live in a system that tries to take our power away. But I think it's, you know, and maybe another example of this, the water over the rock is sort of like the, um, the way that I've seen accessibility and body positivity sort of move into the mainstream conversation of the yoga space. Right. And so like, you know, as a whole, yes, our yoga industry is very influenced by capitalism and fat phobia and diet culture and all of the things that, you know, when you take a a spiritual practice and you commodify it happen inevitably in this, in this dominant culture, but also within our individual classes, you know, the teachers and the people who come to the class, like we get to create the culture and we get to shift that culture and what is normal and what is accepted and what is uh, expected when you come to a yoga class, like we get to shift that one class at a time. And so I think, yeah, it's just really powerful to, um, I, I love the way that you framed that. So thank you for reminding us. It's not always like, you know, some big famous person making a speech or some huge event that it is incremental, consistent um, you know, being an inquiry with the places that this bias comes up and how we can, you know, continue to do better to make, make spaces where that, that doesn't belong, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of that boils down to figuring out in your own little life how to best use the gifts you have to live the kind of integrity that you wish to live. And like, we're not in charge of the, all the impacts that has, but we're not, you know, um, now I can't remember the quote exactly, but you know, the fact that you won't finish the task does not release you from doing it. I think (laughs) whoever said that first said it better. Yeah. But you know, it's true. Definitely. (laughs) Um, so I want to maybe shift gears just a little bit and talk about resilience, um, which seems to be present in most of my conversations this year, um, as it's been challenging for mostly everyone that I know. Um, and so I wondered if you would tell us, like, how do you define resilience? Like, what does that mean to you? And how are you cultivating resilience in yourself and in your work um, during challenging times? Oh, it's a good question. And it's one that's still, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still in inquiry mm-hmm. about this, <laughs> <laughs> working through this. So, so first of all, I would like to say resilience is a word that I believe has been um, commodified to mean I can always get up off the sofa mm, and go back. You are to work. so right. And, okay, hold on. Okay. I just want everyone to digest that. Can you say that again? <laughs> resilience has been commodified and we have to be very careful that sometimes staying on the sofa is the best choice Mm -hmm. right that sometimes it's not get up and go back to work it's not always uh you know get up and put on a happy face and um you know Take even things like take your kids to the park. Like it is okay to tell your children, mm. I am sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's okay to model for your children. I have right. grief because you know what? They're going to have grief in their lives too. And you know, when we cut out those lessons, it's, it's rough. And that is a consumer culture issue that tells us we have to constantly get up and get back to work. So, um, so that's one way that I think about resilience is sometimes don't mm-hmm. do it. Um, the other thing though, about resilience, uh, that, that, that I love <laughs> is that, um, look, there's, there's no, like life is big. There is no such thing as like a terminal case you mentioned it a little while ago. It's not like being racist in a certain moment means you are racist right. forever. <laughs> it means that it means that, oh, you get to you get to decide what to do next. And that's the same thing with resilience, that you are never so damaged that you can't um be an inquiry about the next mm-hmm. moment, right? And and just ask, hmm, where is there pleasure right now in my life? Where is there something interesting? And it might be that you answer that question and still lay on the sofa, and that's okay too. But um, but I but I love the idea that resilience means uh, mm-hmm. reinvention. And um, so there's part of me during this epidemic that really because I had a freak out at first about oh my god. Uh, my work is canceled through the rest of the year. I'm going to be penniless and then I'll be homeless same. and then it'll be yeah, terrible. And, you know, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so at that point, it's like, uh, okay, okay. I had that freak out. I calmed down. And then I remembered, let the next thing come. Like I am, like I'm actually good at 
uh, adapting mm. to the next thing. And uh, so, so I, I have a new book coming out next year, a collection of essays called Damaged Like Me. And uh, it still is dealing with body and identity hierarchy because those are topics that I probably will always mm-hmm. be talking about. But it's also adding in the idea of trauma and how, um, how there are certain folks who want us to believe that if we have experienced certain traumas, particularly if we have certain identities, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, that, um, that we're damaged goods, right, that we can't possibly, we're biased, first of all, <laughs> about everything, we can't possibly make clear decisions. And, um, and it simply isn't true. And I think that that surviving trauma and marginalization often gives us the tools yes. to reinvent because we know we've, we've, we've done that, right? We've, we've done that. And I, I feel like what I just said is maybe a little opaque. So I'll, I'll say it another way. For instance, if you are a woman who has been sexually assaulted, somehow the marginalized identity of woman plus the assault means to some people that you're the one right. who's messed up, not the perpetrator. Right. <laughs> that, you know, your body becomes the, the locus of damage as opposed to um, you experienced something that you're going to survive and be able to help others. Maybe, maybe not. And, and that we need to focus on what caused that to happen right? How do we take the perpetrator from a position of being capable of doing that back into humanity, back into, you know, his or her own humanity, that, that that's a worthwhile focus in addition to the healing of the person who um, was traumatized. Uh, so, so yeah, so I, this is how I think of resiliency is that, um, if, if if bad stuff happens, right, it's possible that that also teaches us how to move on. Now, I wouldn't say everything happens for a reason. I don't like right. that sort of thing. But, <laughs> but, but I do think that it is possible to learn from uh, experiences like being stuck inside with your family mm-hmm. during an epidemic. It's possible to... Um, to learn about who you want to be as a human being from that experience. Yeah, definitely. And that's really mm-hmm. Yeah, I love what you said about that often, you know, marginalized identities like enable us to be adaptable and be resilient because we often have to imagine solutions for ourselves that dominant culture doesn't provide, you know, like when you are marginalized, then you're not centered in most experiences. You have to be creative. You know, I think about all the, the folks involved with disability justice and how they mobilize to, you know, help one another out when there's, for instance, like wildfires in California and they share resources and right, like all these safety nets that they've created that were born out of the necessity of, you know, not having a government that provides the social safety, you know, like a, a, a bad circumstance actually, you know, is, yeah is one of the the superpowers I think of like folks in marginalized identities because we have to you know be creative we have to kind of take that into our own hands and and work with it so anyway thank you for 
it's absolutely true and disability justice is one of the best examples of this like like it is a foolish culture that does not pay attention to the adaptability of uh people whose whose actual bodies require yeah. ingenuity like it's it's like this is this is uh, the disability justice um i mean of course, I, I think this way about all marginalized groups, but but that's one that's mm-hmm. profound, right? Because um, because really, those are individuals who are pointing out to us our innate interconnectedness, like that you can't you can't live without help, and that's actually true for everyone, even though we try to act yeah, like it's not. For sure. Um, Thank you so much for having this conversation, Kimberly. I'm so excited that we got to chat today. I'm wondering if you'll tell everyone where they can find you or if you have any ongoing work or projects or things that you want folks to know about. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Um, So KimberlyDark.com, you can look at uh, and... um, find all of the books that I've written and also information about the retreats, even though they're not happening now, (laughs) (laughs) but, but, you know, I hope they will again at some point. Um, I also am excited about uh, this thing that I've been doing called the hope desk, which is happening um, weekly and it's free. And I spend um, up to an hour on a zoom call answering basic questions. Basically it is simple information about issues that affect us socially from your friendly neighborhood sociologist. Um, So (laughs) that's, that's what I'm doing. So for instance, um, it's, it, and and you can also, it's on the homepage of the website as well. If you scroll down to the bottom, you can get the zoom link bottom of the homepage. Um, So for instance, this last week um, I discussed uh, adultification bias and how that affects black girls. I discussed also body, autonomy laws and how that relates to abortion discussions. Um, Next Tuesday, we're talking about school vouchers and black wealth suppression. So it's not like, yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. And it's not like I'm trying to argue a position on any of these things. I'm trying to explain the concept and how Mm -hmm. we got to it. So anyone can join. those. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love that you're doing that. I think like when we, you know, when we, one of the ways that we can kind of fight that guilt that comes up when we notice our own bias is actually having this bigger, like systemic understanding of how all the pieces fit together. Right. And like where we are in that. And so I think sometimes that can be like a little bit opaque. You know, we talk about like systems of oppression or capitalism or, you know, whatever, there's these like concepts, but really breaking it down into like how we fit into those, I think is so important in that understanding. So thanks for doing that. I'm excited to share that with you. You're welcome. And that's exactly why it's called the hope desk is because I think it's hopeful when more people feel capable of getting into a conversation. Definitely. So, all right. So, uh, Kimberly, we try to leave folks with a question to sit in inquiry with um, around the topic that we discussed this week. And I'm wondering if you have a question or a prompt that you'd like to leave folks uh, to think about or journal about or talk about with a friend. Well, how how about the one regarding, um, (laughs) we talked about this a little bit regarding resilience, but, uh, you know, I would say how, how do you rest? I love that. Yeah. Uh, you know, 
but sometimes sometimes getting up is not the best immediate yeah. choice. How do you rest? Thank you. Thank you, Kimberly. It's been You're great welcome. talking with you. And uh, we will post all your links and resources to the show notes. Thanks for joining us. All right, Thanks, Amber. Thank you for joining us for another week of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. I wanted to let you know that the new cohort of Jeevana Heyman's Accessible Yoga Training Online is now forming. The next section of this flagship training will run January 22nd through February 5th. And the Accessible Yoga Training is a 30-hour continuing education program that will teach you a new way of thinking about yoga postures and practices that honors the essence of yoga but allows you to to design multi-level classes where students of different abilities, ages, shapes, sizes, and experience levels can all practice together with ease. You'll get support from experts around topics like trauma-informed teaching, working with larger bodies, yoga for seniors, yoga marketing, and much more with our team of accessible yoga trainers. And since we're learning at home now, there's no travel expenses, everything's recorded with captions, and you can review materials and work at your own pace. So if this work is calling to you, we hope you'll go to AccessibleYogaTraining.com and sign up for the waitlist. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sending out information about the course and teachings from Jivana that will help you make your classes and learning spaces more accessible, whether you're teaching online, in person, or don't know what the heck is happening next. <laughs> so spend the beginning of 2021 developing your skills as a teacher who can make their classes accessible for all and have every student leaving your class feeling affirmed and successful. Join the waitlist now at AccessibleYogaTraining.com. We hope you'll leave us a review wherever you subscribe to your podcasts and all also subscribe to this podcast. We love hearing your feedback. It really helps us to make it a little better each week. And we hope you'll give us some input on future guests or topics that you'd like us to cover. Just send us an email through our website, accessibleyogatraining.com. We'll see you soon. Thanks.